Good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kayla Harden, and I serve as the pastor of Congregational Connections here at Eastside. Now today we're going to be focusing on this, this lie that our value lies in our performance and, and what other people think of us. So as I was preparing to share with you this morning, I was trying to think in my mind of a time when maybe I cared a little bit too much about what someone else thought of me. Maybe I got embarrassed because something happened so that their opinion wasn't quite what I was hoping for. So I thought and I reflected and, and to be honest, I came up with an even better idea. I'm not gonna share one of my stories with you. I'm gonna share one from my husband. Don't worry, he gave me full permission to share this with you. And in fact, he actually encouraged it a little bit. A few years ago, my husband and I decided that we wanted to go for a walk in our neighborhood. So we took our two-year-old son and we put him in our jogging stroller. We made our way through the neighborhood and as we were passing by one house in particular, we saw a yard sale going on. So we thought, okay, we'll stop, see if there's anything that might pique our interest. My husband found an item that he wanted to purchase. It was this beautiful, intricate ceramic wreath made by Thomas Kincaid. It was beautifully painted with elegant details and lights that lit up and it was beautiful. And so my husband decided that he wanted it. And we were kind of in a, a bit of a pickle because you see it was a little bit bigger. It wasn't in a box, so it was kind of exposed and it was a little bit heavy. And so we came up with this plan. I would take our two-year-old son and start walking back to the house. My husband would pay for the wreath and then he would use our jogging stroller to transport it back to our house, right? Kind of like a cart, you know, giving us some wheels to do it. So I take my son and we head home. My husband pays for the wreath and then he takes it and he carefully places it into the stroller where a child might sit. Nice and careful, nice and safe, sitting in the seat of our jogging stroller. And then he proceeds to start making his way back to our home. And as he's walking back, a family comes walking towards him. A mom, a dad, and then a child, probably about five or six years old, you know, like old enough to observe things, but you know, not quite old enough to have a filter when they observe things, you know? And so my husband, not even thinking, as he's pushing a stroller with a wreath inside it, says to them, excuse us. <laughs> excuse us. And you could see there's some confusion on the parent's face. And of course, the child was extra confused. So the child turns to his father and goes, that's not a baby. What makes it even worse is the father goes, shh, shh yes, it is. <laughs> You can imagine my husband was so embarrassed. And I know that we probably all have stories like this, stories where we did or we said something and then we became embarrassed because other people's opinions of us were not what we were hoping for. You see, we have this thing where we want to make ourselves look better than we are. A great example of this is online. This is a great place to find evidence. See, when we engage online, we usually, we won't post an ugly picture of ourselves, right? None of you will post the picture where you're like, you're blinking or you look very strange. No, we take beautiful pictures and post only the best. 
You don't, you post a picture of the new furniture in your house and how the colors coordinate so wonderfully and it just looks so beautiful. You don't post the stain in the carpet from when you were trying to potty train your toddler. We post the best. And whether we realize it or not, we are carefully curating this image that we wanna present to the world. And it turns out this online image, this online presence that we have, it's not always honest. Let's talk online dating. Did you know that 53% of people lie on their online dating profile? 20% of women who were surveyed said that they used a photo that was older when they were younger and thinner. 40% of men lied about their jobs in order to sound more successful. But this need to appear better than we are, it's not just limited to online dating. See, for many of us, social media is the place to present the best of ourselves, highlighting the things we believe that others will like or admire us for, or maybe when we're honest, be jealous of. Most often, we will lie by presenting an image of ourselves and our lives that's not accurate because we want people to believe something about us. For example, in an online study, only 18% of men and 19% of women said that their Facebook page displayed a completely accurate representation of themselves. Did you catch that? Over 80% of people said their Facebook page was not completely accurate to who they are. 32% of participants said they only shared non-boring aspects of their lives. And 14% said they're not quite as active as their social media would make them appear. So why do we do this? We want to be perceived as better than we are. Sometimes it's an outright lie, but sometimes it's simply choosing which pieces of our life we want to show to others and which pieces we want to hide. The world measures our worth, our value, on the basis of our appearance, on our production, on our performance. And so the temptation is to prove ourselves through our performance or our image. We're to show off all the things that make us look good while glossing over or maybe even lying about the things that make us look bad. We've come to accept that lie, that value lies in our performance and in what others think of us. Unfortunately, this isn't even a new problem. And in fact, it's not even one that exists outside the church. And in our scripture this morning, we're going to see how Jesus cut straight to the heart of the issue when religious people were taking things that were good and twisting them because they were wanting to care about their image. Over the course of the last few months, we've been working through our sermon series titled, For You. We've been working through the Sermon on the Mount as found in the book of Matthew, and we've been guided by the writing of James Bryan Smith in The Good and Beautiful Life. And over and over again in this series, we have seen that our motive matters more than our method. Let me say that again. Our motive matters more than our method. I believe Pastor Kerry put it this way, our attitudes are as impactful as our actions. And while many in the time of Jesus believed that our um, method was where obedience was found in an unexpected plot twist, Jesus points out that our motive is where it matters. 
See, our method could be something good or even in this case, something holy. But if our motive is wrong, it can twist it into something ugly and selfish. In our scripture this morning, Jesus addresses three different spiritual practices, good practices, meant to draw us closer to our creator and how they had been twisted by the religious leaders in order to make themselves look better than they were. They took something created to bring God glory, but instead brought themselves glory. So the first, Jesus talks about giving. In Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. As when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they might be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Giving was as much of a staple in the time of Jesus as it is for Christians today. See, the synagogue back then, they had this system in place to help take care of the poor. And this system was supported by the donations of people in their community, where they would give a portion of their income to help take care of the poor. And when a large gift was given, it was common practice to, to announce it and to celebrate the giver. Now let's be clear, Jesus is not condemning giving. And he's not even condemning this practice of celebrating the giver. But what he is addressing is the motive behind these actions. We've seen this over and over again. Our motive matters more than our method. And Jesus saw straight to the heart of the religious leaders and the pretend pious. Jesus recognized that the pretend pious were not giving because they genuinely cared for the poor. They weren't even giving because they loved God. They were motivated by getting praise. They wanted recognition. One scholar put it this way, they weren't giving but buying. They wanted other people to think that they were holy, to think highly of them. And so they bought their admiration. They paid for their praise. So it's natural to think that they got what they paid for and had already received their reward. But Jesus challenges his followers to do something different, to give in secret. He tells his followers to give as if your left hand doesn't even realize what your right hand is doing. Because giving in secret keeps your giving between you and the only one who matters, God. The one that you are giving for, God. Jesus is teaching us that buying the approval of others will not fulfill you. Like the religious leaders in his day, sometimes we feel an urge to spend in order to gain the respect of other people. Have you ever been checking out at a store and the cashier asks you if you'd like to donate a dollar to their charity of choice? 
while this is not bad, it's actually excellent to give to charity, how often do you feel kind of the urge to give so that the people around you won't give you those judgmental stares? Instead of giving out of compassion and generosity. Buying someone else's approval is temporary and hinging your worth on it will lead to disaster. Next, Jesus brings up the practice of prayer. And in verse five through eight, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Just like giving, prayer is a common and necessary practice for those who are listening to Jesus teach. But Jesus here, he highlights two different approaches to prayer, and he addresses the heart of the problem with each of them. First, he addresses those who, who pray out loud in public for the sake of recognition. You see, for Jesus' Jewish audience, prayer took place three times a day, and it would often take place in a public place. These prayers were recited out loud, so it was evident to everyone around who was praying. But then he goes on to contrast this kind of prayer, the prayer that was a performance to gain an audience. He contrasts it with the one he wants his followers to pray. One that begins with a more intimate opening, our Father. You see, this is a reminder that prayer was designed to flow out of a relationship. But many, many had turned it into performance. They were cared less about relating to God and more about the opinion of their audience. Just like those who gave to buy the admiration of others, this group gets their reward right away, but they miss the meaning of prayer completely. Second, Jesus addresses the type of prayer that was common among those who were Gentiles. So for those who weren't Jewish, prayer to their gods and to their deities often looked like saying the same phrase over and over and over again. Sometimes it even meant speaking in gibberish. And the heart of this type of prayer was to kind of manipulate your deity or to coerce your deity into giving you what you wanted, whether you needed it or not. And honestly, it reminds me a little bit of interacting with my toddler and how he'll ask me the same question over and over and over and over again. We'll wake up in the morning and just finish breakfast and he'll come to me and he'll say, can I have a lollipop? Being the responsible mom I am, I will say no. 30 seconds passes. Can I have a lollipop? Again, I say no. Another 30 seconds passes. Can I have a lollipop? No, not right now. You need to wait till after lunch and then you can have some candy. 30 seconds passes. Can I have a lollipop? Go talk to your dad. It's like they believe they could manipulate their God into giving them what they wanted by asking over and over and over again. But see, Jesus didn't want either of these things for his followers. Instead, he tells them to pray in secret, to address their Father in heaven. Because prayer is designed to connect us to our Creator. It's not a means to get what we want, 
through manipulation, nor is it about gaining the attention of others. We don't use prayer to shape how others view us. We don't use it to shape their opinion. Prayer is less about the opinion of others, and it is more about getting to know the only one whose opinion matters. Jesus is reminding us that shaping the opinion of others will not fulfill you. I don't know about you, but I struggle with wanting to please people. But Jesus is reminding us here that we don't do prayer in order to please people. We engage in prayer to have the chance to develop intimacy with the only one whose opinion matters, God's. And when we pray in secret, we can bring to our creator the deepest insecurities of our soul. When we pray in secret, we can be utterly vulnerable, laying down our hurts alongside our joys. My guess is if you're praying for an audience, you're not gonna lay out all the things that are hurting you and for your audience to see. Secret prayers offer us the chance to shed the weight of the opinion of others and embrace a relationship with God. The third practice that Jesus addresses is that of fasting or choosing to abstain from food or drink for a religious reason. And in verses 16 through 18, Jesus continues. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting is another example of a good practice done for the wrong reason. Fasting was a sign of mourning and it was often done to draw someone closer to God. And in this time, the Pharisees would often practice fasting twice a week. They would put on mourning clothes and sometimes they would even cover their face in ashes so that it was evident to everyone around that they were fasting. You know, I love Jesus' wordplay here because in each of these sections of scripture, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrite. Don't be like the hypocrite. Now this word, hypocrite, in the Greek, it comes from the word to talk about an actor, somebody who would wear a mask and pretend and play a part. And so these people that would wear the ashes on their face, they were playing a part of that holy and good. They were acting, wearing a mask of ashes to play the part. But Jesus saw behind the mask of ash to the truth of what was going on. They were hiding their faces in order to be seen. Let me say that again. They were hiding their faces in order to be seen. How often do we hide who we are? Do we put on a mask? so that others will see us, so that we can feel valued by other people, so that we might feel loved. But Jesus is telling us that pretending to be something you're not will not fulfill you. It can be so tempting to hide behind a mask of something. And for the Pharisees here, this was a mask designed to make people think that they were good and holy. But for many of us, that mask might look very different. Have you ever found yourself hiding behind a mask of something because you thought that was the only way you could be valued or loved? 
in this section of scripture, Jesus has addressed three different good practices that were twisted by the religious leaders. He reminds us that even though we may think our value lies in what others say about us, the only opinion that matters is his. It seems like everywhere we look, we're told that our value lies in what others think of us. We are driven to believe that our worth lies in our performance and being good enough or having others think highly of us. And so we work hard to perform in a way that might earn us some admiration or we carefully curate the image that we present to the world so that they will think we have value. But we don't have to buy the admiration of others because their opinion is not what truly matters. We don't have to shape the opinion of others because their opinion does not give us value. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not because who we are is already someone of value, worthy of love. In the kingdom of God, our value is not dependent on our performance. Our value is not dependent on the opinions of others. The only opinion that matters is God's and his love is displayed for you on the cross. His opinion of you is clear. You were worth dying for. You were worth the public humiliation of leading up to the cross. You were worth the painful torture. You were worth the slow suffocation on the cross. Maybe you're joining us this morning and this lie has, has seeped into your life. You feel the need to always present yourself in a certain way, to always be performing. And if you're honest, you're tired. What would happen if you embraced this kingdom truth? What if you let go of this need to please others and perform for others and instead embrace the freedom that comes with following Jesus? If I'm being honest, this is challenging for me. I grew up in church. My parents are youth pastors. I've spent a lot of time in church. But when I was younger, my understanding of the Christian faith was flawed. It was broken. I understood the Christian faith to mean that I did all the right things and I said all the right things and I avoided all of the wrong ones. It was a performance for me. But when I began to truly follow Jesus, I realized how empty that performance was. I realized that it would never fulfill me, that it is not what I was created for. When your measure of worth is performance or the opinion of others, it'll never be enough. You'll never be good enough. It'll always be hinging on your last performance. Giving, praying, fasting, these are all ways for us to build a connection with our creator, to find the freedom from the weight of others' opinions. Let's discard the opinions of others by focusing on the only opinion that matters. God's. Can you imagine? What would the world look like if people stopped thinking that their value was so closely tied to the opinion of others? If they stopped feeling the need to perform or to present themselves as better? 
For each good practice that has been twisted, Jesus recommended secrecy as the antidote. When we're tempted to buy the admiration of others, he said instead recommends that we give in secret. When we want to parade our prayers in front of an audience, we're to take our prayer and to speak to God in secret. When we're tempted to wear a mask of ash, to hide behind fasting, to, we're to fast in secret, pretending that nothing is wrong even when our stomachs are growling. This week, find ways to keep your focus on the reason why we do these things. Connection to God. Keep his name on your lips and in the front of your mind. In fact, in your next steps this week, you'll find a challenge to do acts of secret service. Find ways to help alleviate someone else's burden, but, but find a way to do it without drawing attention to yourself. For me, it can be a struggle because when I do something good, I really like to get that gold star. But here's what I'll tell you. That gold star compared to the connection to the God of the universe, it means nothing. When we serve in secret, that's our reward. Connection to God. So I hope that you'll find ways to pour into that connection to God. We're about to sing a song and I hope that as you, as you sing the words that you will reflect on your own life. Consider any ways that maybe the opinions of others or maybe your performance have been driving you where instead you need to refocus and to focus on God who loves you. Find your worth in who he says you are. Let his name be on your lips. Let his purposes fill your life. Connect with God.